Hello, my name is Kay Tuxford. And I'm Robert Higgins. And this is episode 41 of Screenwriting from the Trenches, a podcast about the expression and craft of screenwriting in all its forms from the perspective of writers just like you. This week, we are diving headfirst into the craft of screenwriting and how to sharpen your skills on the page. But before we get to that, we must, as always, discuss what screen, uh, Screenwriting Twitter is fighting about this week. Rob, theme song. I'm not singing that song. I'm not doing it. I swear to God, Kate Tuxford, you would, I, I'm, I have to like, you know, between you and like Anchor, I have to like figure out how I'm going to like deal with the the, the song issues of this podcast. I've got to come up with like a like a opening that's coming, like some sort of opening. If listeners, if you know anybody out there who does like music and wants to do like a opening like jingle uh, for the podcast, please contact me. And also, I've got to do something so that Kay will stop singing Screamwriting Twitter is a dumpster fire. Thank you for saying it. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to okay. count that as spoken word singing. Um, <laughs> it's a wrap. Um, done. I got him to do it, people. Let's go. Right. We got him, guys. Okay. Um, so uh, I think we just want to say, like, overall on Twitter, we're still pretty much fuck the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, overall, a series of more and more unpleasant um uh, decisions have been made all around Roe v. Wade. I think the last one that kind of like threw us a bone and sided with Biden on the um, ban on asylum seekers. So they finally stopped. He's tried to undo Trump's um, uh, ban and it got shot down in the courts and it just got overturned in the Supreme Court. So that's like our one victory um, considering the rest of the trash given to us um, I, it just doesn't feel so good. Um, Rob, anything to say on this? I, I, you know, like the, the Supreme Court, there, there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, impeaching uh, members of the court because they lied under oath, uh, you know, when they said that they accepted Roe v. Wade as the law of the land. And I'm not against this, but there seems to be, like, I'm, what's, what seems to be frustrating everyone is that people want the Democrats to be as at least uh, at least like virtually as aggressive as the Republicans have been about everything in their you know in sort of the direction of their autocratic nightmare, um, and we just like d people just want the Republicans to face some kind of consequence. But it, it, it feels like, you know what it reminds me of? Like the whole thing with the Democrats sort of reminds me of like a lot of the stuff that you and I have gone through with the last few years where like you want to like something to happen and somebody knows that it's a, that it would be a good idea for it to happen, but people don't want to lose like, oh, I don't want to lose my clout with with so-and-so, or I don't want to use up my markers, or I don't want to use up my 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 Hollywood uh like uh favor budget uh on 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 the likes of you. You know what I mean? Like it's been a lot of that. It feels very Hollywood. Um, like this sort of thing. I, I like, know, ironically, yeah. It yeah, does. I don't want to use up my political capital on doing something that would actually like help people. You know, it's like, ugh, it's 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 one of those things. And then you know, you can't expect to win elections like that. 
That's not how things work. Because if you're going to, like, we they keep saying how popular, like, the things that, like, that people support are, and then yes. not doing those things, like codifying Roe v. Wade. Uh, so and, it's so popular. It's, yeah, it's, it's so ridiculously popular. Right, it's, like it's so popular. Over majority. Yeah. Right, and then you want to win elections by not doing the things that are popular. I don't understand how that works. I don't like, and then you the the Democrats will be so surprised. They'll be like, well, they're you know, these people clearly are crazy. These people clearly are crazy. But then I'm like, okay, if that was if that was a thing, if that was going to be a deterrent, we would never know the name Marjorie Taylor Greene. If the, if crazy was going to be a deterrent to people voting for crazy, we wouldn't have Lauren Boebert, we wouldn't have Marjorie Taylor Greene, we wouldn't have Matt Gates, we wouldn't have any of these assholes who dominate the news cycle with yeah. the cycle of crazy. So like no. And criminals. A lot of them are criminals. Yes. Right, exactly. So that's not going to be a deterrent. You guys need to step the fuck up and like start getting aggressive so that people like, because if not, they just look, you know, impotent. And then nobody wants to vote for that because like, it's like that line from, you know, uh, it's like the line from the American president. People want leadership. They'll walk across the, you know, the the desert to get it. And, you know, <laughs> when they find that it's not there, they drink the sand. You know, like, like uh, you know, it's just, it feels like, well, I don't know. Not me being a Sorkin fanatic. It feels like, you know, a lot of people, these people, a lot of these people haven't seen Sorkin movies. But anyway. Um, right, right. What is Sorkin doing? Yeah, he could. Yeah, he, where, he, he must be going crazy right now. Aaron Sorkin must be going fucking nuts. Like, because he's he's one of those people, and this is one of the reasons why I fucks with Sorkin, even though he's very problematic as a person. But Sorkin at least like gets it, and this kind of shit just drives him up the wall. You can fucking yeah. tell from his writing; it drives him up the motherfucking wall. Somewhere, Aaron Sorkin is just like pissing blood and like drinking heavily <laughs> like he's relapsed somewhere <laughs> oh gosh doing something heavily. like have you seen aaron like i don't know what he's doing i have undergoing kidney failure days. from all the drugs and but, like system. open the door um, the place wow. is just a mess it's like a hoarder's nightmare Stars <laughs> of pee. yeah <laughs> oh aaron. oh my god aaron <laughs> somebody help him yeah um yeah so but uh, speaking of crazy, you actually went, uh, or speaking of fighting, actually, you went uh, a few rounds with my nemesis, uh, yes, Peter, Peter, this week. Yeah, uh, on the I, what's, what's his handle? It's at, at Prexis. Prex for. Prex, you know, yeah, you know. I do. Uh, yeah, so so this was actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dedicate this episode to Peter. Um, <laughs> no, because I think, I think, uh, yeah, that was maniacal, Rob. Yeah, I know, because uh, you know, anything that I that, that fucks with Peter is 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 good for me. I enjoy no, it. yeah, as I said, Peter Peter didn't do anything wrong except for uh, being wrong himself. Coming from the coming for the best. Yeah. Coming yeah. for the <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but but I think he uh, didn't want the smoke. Um, no, <laughs> no, so so the, there's I got I got no I got no real beef with 
well, I got a little beef with Peter. I, yeah. I just want to be nice because he's a nice guy. Um, but, you know, there was a meme going around on Twitter where you say she or he's a, you know, 10, but they do X, Y, Z, right? Or she yeah. or she's a five, but they, you know, do X, Y, Z. So it's whatever bumps up their score or decreases their score. So I wrote, she's a five, but she automatically turns off her character continue. It's been open fi- opening final draft. Which is not like a hot take. Like everybody does it. Who doesn't do that? Yeah. Peter basically vomited instantly on Twitter at the sheer audacity. And, you know, I could tell he was just a troubled soul. Um, <laughs> anyway. He's so I, sweet. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, but um, so he, he, uh, was just like blasphemy um and and i said do you want to have two nemeses uh because i feel strongly about this and he actually then tried to bring the receipts and show me samples of oscar award-winning scripts that have character continued and um i uh threw down uh both tony gilroy's in response because i think peter felt like uh they, they are a golden rule and they are not, they are optional. So, um, yeah. And you know, there was actually somebody else who came through and was just like, uh, yeah, they, they, free, like, even managers will tell you to like turn that shit off. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, and it, it is a matter of taste. Like, if somebody left them on, I would never dock them points for it. Um, but, uh, I, I often don't include them. And I find that that's a good way to weed out. Uh, lesser contest if I have somebody a reader complain about that in a lesser contest that reader uh, shouldn't be a reader I'm gonna I'm gonna say that in the nicest way possible uh, because they're not familiar with format or what's optional and what's not Um, so anyway uh, I threw that down Peter um, lost his goddamn mind uh, and then just kind of conceded that it is a choice so um that is kind of the inspiration my screenplay my choice yes my screenplay format my choice uh so peter this one's dedicated to you but uh we still have some more hot goss you ran across something uh on twitter this week that just is delightful i i i I saw this and i was just like okay what is this 2008 like some noob or not noob but this guy named philosophy professor yeah this jonathan weisberg jay weisberger uh jay Jay weisberg um on twitter wrote the following tweet scorsese spielberg tarantino they're master storytellers with the sensibilities of children scorsese's obsession with gangsters is 14 year old boy stuff you can admire their talent without lauding juvenile material maybe then we get some actual grown-up movies and i was like you know what hot take guy like fuck off like Like, nobody, oh man, I hate, and I hate to defend any of these guys. Like, not necessarily Spielberg. I feel like he's obviously the least problematic of the bunch. But, like, you know, he's getting up into that old man yells at cloud, uh, like, place. You know, like, they're, all of them are kind of, with the exception of Tarantino, I don't think any of them are really, um, you know, sort of relevant in terms of way what audiences are really clamoring for. Um, you know what I mean? Like Tarantino still like, you know, can fill it. He's got a, he's got a, a cult uh, surrounding him. Like you, you can't fuck with the Tarantino cult. Um, but I, mean, I mean, you can, but 
they just it's like a hydra they're like the so more, annoying the more um, you cut down the more heads grow so film like, grows, i swear to god but like yeah. you know like there's there's it's not necessarily like a a full-on like anything else i feel like it's you know it's like 90 percent or nine out of ten you know what i mean like Yes, Jurassic Park uh, or, you know, Ready Player One, those are theme ride kind of, you know, things as Scorsese himself would say, but, you know, those are the kind of movies that people watch. Um, I'm not a fan of Ready Player One. I think Jurassic Park is an absolute classic. And from a screenwriting perspective, like you look yeah. at something like the Mr. DNA sequence and I'm like, that's, that's, uh, that's a masterclass on exposition. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> come again. Like, oh my God. Um, so it's not like there are things, but then nobody's, no 14 year old boy is doing Munich or Schindler's List or Schindler's List or the exactly. color purple. No, like, you can't mm. not like <laughs> Spielberg's got receipts or the post. No, no 14 year old boys doing that. Sorry for you. Sorry. Sorry That's right, for you. The post. Yeah. The post. Like Spielberg has receipts. Tarantino also has receipts. You know any 14-year-old boy who's transposing slavery onto Italian westerns? No. No. And the level of detail. I've just I just rewatched Django. And the amount of history that is inside of that fucking movie, like, no, it is not written by someone with the with the sensibilities of a 14-year-old boy. It is written by a, a, certainly a white man, but it's, it definitely has like, <laughs> so definitely has like like clear adult um, sensibilities, and that's how it attracted like the level of talent in that movie is nothing short of stunning. It is absolutely stunning. It is one of Tarantino's most underrated. Django is an amazing film. And it's even underrated? One, I didn't feel like it was underrated. I feel like it's completely underrated. Oh, I thought, I thought it's great, so I don't disagree with you. I just, yeah. I was curious. It's completely underrated because it's just, it, it. you know, it's one of those things. Plus Tarantino, you have to like, like that's the other thing. Like Tarantino knows that he's getting away with murder by making that movie. He knows for a fact that, that he is making a movie that cannot be made by a black filmmaker. Yeah. And he makes it with full glee knowing it. He knows he's literally thumbing his nose at white audiences. And like, that's another thing. That's the thing that Scorsese doesn't get. Like when he makes movies like Wolf of Wall Street, which is why Django works. And I think Wolf of Wall Street does it. Wolf of Wall Street work. is trying to say that it's like, that it is like thumbing its nose at mega capitalism while paying off the person who committed the crimes who uh, the movie is based off of, Jordan Belfort. It pays him twice. Yeah. So, yeah. no, think, it's not. It's not. And I, and I think there was there was never a point in Wolf of Wall Street where you said, oh, fuck, I don't want to be. It real bad, homie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, you're like, that guy is just, he's crazy he, and weird, but there's no point where you watch this person basically. Yeah, it feels like a, like, a, yeah. like a variation on like, you know, one of those movies about the American dream. It's like, a, it's, an, it's another gangster movie. Scorsese, I feel like, while I do love Scorsese's movies, like, well, some of his movies anyway, I feel like there is a sort of like stunted kind of sensibility about them. Like, you know, Goodfellas is amazing. Goodfellas is like, you know, Casino is sort of amazing, right. um, you know, like tax, but then you look at movies like Taxi Driver and, 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 you know, they're 
there's they're so they have, they do not age well. Like they just don't age very well. They don't. Like you know, Travis Bickle feels very incel. It almost feels like a like like a proto incel movie. It, it like you know what I mean? Yeah, well, it is. It has know. none of the nuance of something like Fight Club. You know what I mean? Like if you watch Fight Club, there's a lot of nuance to that movie, despite the fact that there's a lot of like uh, like you know stuff that things. But the Fight Club is firm. Its tongue is firmly in cheek. Like it has its yeah. own receipts. But like when you look at something like Taxi Driver, you're like, this doesn't this doesn't feel like its tongue is in cheek. This just like mm. it just feels like yeah, it just feels like rage. You know, it, it yeah, feels it like feels like rage. There's toxic a, male rage. Yeah, right. there's a lack of nuance in Taxi Driver. But you know, like I don't know. But at the same time, none of those guys, uh, you know, even in their their stuff, it doesn't. I, I, I would hesitate to say that they were that they have four, the sensibilities of fourteen-year-old boys. What about Shark Tale? <laughs> it's an animated one. I'm just okay. throwing that out. Um, right. No, no, no. But I think I think it's also also it's it's really unfair in in a way because it also basically belies auteurism, saying that auteurs are the only people who are making stuff, uh, and they get to pick their content and stuff. Um, or it's like that you know that thing where everybody wants to like blow smoke up Christopher Nolan's butt because he makes like movies about about guys in suits, serious guys in suits with no humor, and like you know it's just like. <laughs> okay like i really appreciate that summary I, i've never been a huge nolan fan uh so um but, there, but that's what people that's what people, people point to when they're like this, oh, yeah. you know we need serious movies like this and you're like like i love inception as much as anybody but i do it's not, not but yes but like that's not how i want all of my movies you know what i mean <laughs> like it's not all like, eh. yeah eh. yeah there but, are other serious movies like, I would argue that, you know, like, there are certain people making serious films, um, you know, just, I don't know. Like, we haven't had a, you know what, who never enters the conversation for serious films, but is mm. out there just, like, throwing his fucking life on the line, like, every movie? Alex Garland. Nobody ever mentions Alex Garland in the conversation. Yeah. But motherfucker, like, he just released Men. And before that, it was, uh, oh, God, what's that movie? Uh, Ex Machina was his no, first. Ex Machina, but that was before uh, That was before the last movie. The he one had a show as well, The New Devs. Yeah, The the New Devs. Uh, but there was that, fuck, what was that movie with, with, the, with the, the, the shimmer and the all-female group of, of soldiers that went into the shimmer and everything was, and the bear with the screaming. <laughs> I think I, I, gotta, I gotta look this movie up yeah we gotta look it up now that you've said those things yeah annihilation annihilation yes 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 came like right up all right but yeah uh annihilation like you know as as much as like i'm not necessarily a, a fan of the uh the sort of labyrinth of of uh of of thought traps that you have to <laughs> engage in in order to like understand that movie but at the same time it's 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 a thought it's supposed to provoke thought it's a thought-provoking movie so is ex machina ex machina is simply just a master class holy shit 
it is a really really effective uh grounded sci-fi i hate saying grounded but it is one of those pieces where you can uh make make a lot out of a little and and really uh milk those effects so yeah it's fantastic and so that 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 guy's name never comes up when we talk about making adult films and that guy's out there making adult films not to mention the fact that i feel like you know there's also the fact of the matter is that you know the way the, the the box office sort of works right now or the way that the box office is sort of catered is that the kind of work that people seem to claim that they want in cinema, they don't really support unless yes. it's on television. Um, and that's where, you know, the medium is right now for these sort of more cerebral or adult storytelling, like things like Severance, um, that the kind of things that maybe would have been a movie like 15 years ago, um, but there are now television shows because that's where that stuff can live and survive. Do you imagine like a movie like Severance really hitting? No, I think I think it would be something where you're like, oh, that was weird and trippy, and then that'd be the end. It would yeah. be like um, maybe now that we'll get more stuff, but like you know, A twenty four seems to be opening the door up for like things. You know, the Daniels did make a splash with everything everywhere all at once so i feel like that you're going to see more weird stuff like that but i don't know that it necessarily is like you know i don't know that severance or you know uh just serious adult fare um like well i think i think i'm gonna argue that i think um you know, there's a huge, and this is just more of a treatise about movies in general, but there's this huge need to put on fanfare to get people out into a theater and spending mm-hmm. 15, 20 bucks a ticket. Right. And we and, talked about this on the show where the, yeah. like, that's the thing where you, the reason why movies are respectable is because they have to play spectacle prices. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And so if somebody's like, do you want to watch a little film about, you know, let's say Severance was a feature film about a bunch of co-workers working in a cubicle together at a weird place where they don't remember their job. Right. You go, that sounds no. cool. I will watch it when it hits Netflix yeah. because <laughs> I don't need the big screen. No, or I'm sorry, it's on Apple. But um, yeah, but I'll watch that when it comes to streaming. Yeah. like. Yeah, uh, and the yeah. other thing is, is like, I've got a nice big TV. So mm-hmm. like, um, you can't convince me I'm going to have a different experience in the theater. Now, if I need Dolby F and surround sound to really experience something, right. then, you know, then I'm like, oh, okay, I probably should do the theater experience. Like I saw Dune uh, on HBO Max because uh, of lockdown. And I was like, oh no, I should be in a theater for this. Oops, my bad. Yeah. Well, I, I had the opposite experience watching The Matrix. Um, or I was in a theater and I was like, I should be watching this at home. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, that's neither here nor there, but it's speaking of, uh, movies that need to be better written. Let's talk about, um, sharpening your writing skills. This is a craft episode. Um, yes, I would like to, uh, introduce to the podcast, uh, one professor Tuxford, who is, who is a pro- professor at Chapman University uh, with an MFA in the writing of screen, who teaches the youngins, the screenwriters of tomorrow, how to uh, make the people go uh, on the page. 
and uh, <laughs> I, I will I will well I I will submit to your expertise and 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 there you go take it away Professor Tuxer. Wow Rob I've I've just I will submit to your expertise I I need that on that I need you to wear a t-shirt with that on there <laughs> at all times uh, wow. Yeah, okay. I was gonna say it because it's never gonna happen again. Um, yeah, so I think uh, I think um, you know we talk about a lot of uh, common debates that happen on screenwriting Twitter, mm -hmm. but I think if you're just trying to get your education in screenwriting from screenwriting Twitter, it's kind of like a cherry picking. You know, people will go into like bold or underline, you know, slug lines, and you're wow. like, oh, that seems like that's really important. It's not, not. Uh, and people spend a little bit more time on those sort of optional debates and arguments than probably focusing on what's actually happening in the scene and on their page. One and day so we're going to have to do like a full on nerd episode called designing the page. Um, this, this is getting pretty close to it. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think one of the first things I find, especially with um, new writers is in your headlines instead of worrying about them being bolded or slugged or, you know bolded or underlined um a lot of times people aren't necessarily choosing the most effective uh location or location name mm -hmm. um or they're not keeping it consistent so um it's, it's something i just kind of want to reach out there and tell people because oftentimes i find a lot of information in just a, in a just a heading um, that you can you can really hone in. I think too often people say something like you know house or living room or uh, park, um, but you can actually get more specific there. Number one, if it is taking place at something more specific like your main character's house, you can put your name character's name in it. A lot of times I'll read scripts that take place in like Hollywood, and they'll say up scale Hollywood restaurant and I'm like oh that's a person who isn't in Hollywood right you know I actually went I actually did something like this in my last script where mm. like I was I was writing something that takes place inside of a chain restaurant mm -hmm. but it was based on a chain restaurant like a specific chain restaurant so I actually went on like Apple uh maps and like looked up the place where it was and got the store number <laughs> just so I could be like, not just that one, this one and the number. Like that. So this <laughs> is like this store number. So we know exactly where the fuck we are. Like that's yeah. just so it's, you know, I'll, like if you want to be specific that way, like it's, you're not talking about all of them in general. You're talking about this specific store, like number 5,700. You know okay. Well, I mean? you went, you went too far. <laughs> uh, but you were probably deciding that you were filming there and making that plan for yourself so I'm going to allow that for Rob uh the rest of y'all like if you're going to pick a restaurant or you're going to pick a public location like that um giving us specifics is always really nice like if you told me like I'm going to just throw out some LA names like if you told me somebody's meeting at Cantor's late night, I'm like, oh, that's casual diner deli style if you tell me somebody's you know meeting 
you know, at Nubo, like uh, Novo, like I'm like, oh, that's like super fucking swanky. Like, um, you know, the more specific you get with those sort of things, it's going to give me more of a sense of place instead of here's a fictional made up restaurant I thought of. Um, it's going to actually ground me to somewhere where I know. Um, so first of all, that's something I just want to say about like locations is be specific, be specific. And then also, and this is something I'm putting as an addendum, uh, is use subheadings. Um, subheadings are something that um, don't always get taught in screenwriting books. Um, I know, Rob, you use them a lot, but subheadings are when you divide up your location into multiple locations that exist within that larger location. Yeah. Most, common, most commonly, we use it for like a house. Yeah, I do this a lot in indie film where you're going to be using multiple parts of the house. Yeah. Um, because I feel like if you've got a house, like the location is not just, you know, the living room. It's also the bathrooms, the bedrooms, like any Always, room that you can get your head. Every so, bedroom, kitchen, right. pa pa you know, patios. So a lot of times I'll read a scene heading and it's like into your house and you're like, so-and-so does this in the living room. So-and-so does this in the bedroom. Those are all separate places. Mm -hmm. um, and so you need to use those su subheadings to delineate. Yeah, once you leave the room, you should do another, you should do a yeah. subheading. If you're and in the same house, just keep it there. And we all know what time it is, but use a different subheading. Yeah, um, and, and start by telling us the location. So if you say interior house, try in your scene heading uh, location to say what room of the house you're in. So if it's interior house, you know, put a dash or something like that and say kitchen, you know, so I know you're in the kitchen. Because if not, usually when somebody tells me interior house, I just kind of imagine I'm in a foyer um as because i just got into the house you know right. that's that's usually uh if you just introduced it that's where i am so if you're not if, if that and that's just my brain i still wouldn't like just make that assumption so make use of those subheaders because usually once we get into those larger locations that's where a lot of writers get into geographical trouble right because uh people could be working in different rooms and things like that and you can't tell geographically if they they are tracking what the other actor is doing even um, if you're doing like you know mm -hmm. separate action lines for certain things and stuff like that i don't feel like that's enough and it's also if it does go into Not. production it's going to create a, a nightmare in production then you're going to add a bunch of things somebody's going to be like these are in different rooms these are different locations these are different things that yeah. you're shooting so and i think i think it does i think it's good when you're working on formatting to say, am I helping the person that would make the film? You know, oftentimes mm -hmm. we get told as writers, like don't direct on the page or uh, don't put in your ed Ugh. like edits or camera movement, but you should be very clear where the scene takes place, who is in the scene and any major important uh, physical attributes. You know, I'm often- I'm disagreeing with like the thing that though of being like directing on the page because I feel like as a screenwriter, <laughs> you are directing the movie that you are trying to get people to see. You're just directing yes. it on the page. Okay, so, so let me back up because I, I see exactly what you're saying. I think there is a point where you can over direct in a spec script right. because you're not ready like nobody's ready for that specificity yet right. like i've even had people describe like they move their arm you know 90 degrees this way and then turn <laughs> a little this way you know and that's too specific you'll figure out that blocking when you get there 
or when the director's in the director chair. I right. still need to know like major directing movements. I need to know when a, a character has had an emotional pivot. I need to know, um, you know, if somebody is acting a certain way, like defensive or angry, you know, those things you do need to put into the screenplay. So mm -hmm. you, you are right. Um, Anyway, so that's kind of like one of the first things I want to say is just geography wise, please use your locations um, in, in the most effective manner. And then I think the other thing is once you're done with the script, go through and make sure you keep the locations uh, the same name. Oftentimes I'll go through even in my own work and I'll go, oh, I, that was house, then it was so-and-so's house, then it was, you know, house on the street, you know, and you have to make them all one name by the end. Right. I'm, I'm guilty of, of this too, where I, you started out as something and then you, like, yeah. you know, then it was somebody else's house. And yeah, because I'm totally guilty of that. What it's, it's the same thing as we said before is once you send this to a team to go film, they're going to say, okay, well, we have a house, we have a house on the street and we have so-and-so's house. And then, you know, <laughs> You're like, they're all the same thing. They're like, all the same thing. What? So, so make it clear for them so that they know, oh, we just need to get one house and it needs to contain these things, or we're going to shoot multiple houses and pretend that it's all one house, you know, whatever they right. decide. And I think that's something we don't think about as writers is uh, when you go from room to room in a house, we always imagine we're at like a perfect location in a house and it's all be being shot in the same location but um not the case oftentimes either the exterior is not going to match the interior of the house or you know a lot of times i'm experiencing this in my own script uh that's going in production is bathrooms are really notoriously hard to shoot in yes. uh, and a lot of places end up having to build their own bathrooms because they need to remove the wall and things like that um so you'll build them on a soundstage so that might not even be occurring in the house. It may, you know, if you're doing a continuous shot and we need to watch somebody like run from the bedroom to the hallway to the bathroom. But if you're just having a scene in there, you know, where somebody's in the bathroom, that could be a completely different location. And that's why you need to have your scene headings clear, uh, each one you particularly need, because you could show up at a location that doesn't have the room you're looking for, or it's not filmable. So um, that's just to help um, future, future filmmakers work on your project. Um, Let's jump to something more fun. And I just want to throw this out here. And I think Rob, you'll appreciate this, which okay. is um, just because it's screenwriting, it still is writing. Um, and I think yeah. sometimes I think sometimes people um, you know, we we get very uh technical in a script and we forget that it also has to be um a pleasure to read. And oftentimes, you know, people don't necessarily, especially in like an early draft, don't put a lot of love into their prose. And um, that's just, you know, sometimes it's just a real buzzkill on a script. Not saying that the prose must, uh, you know, match that of like a Russian literary master or something. But um, a lot of times it feels like there's very little, it's clinical and there's very little love. Yeah, I, I really do not enjoy like dry screenplays where it just feels like there's like, I don't know. I, my, all of my favorite screenwriters have, um, have uh, sort of injected their own pieces of their personality. Your Tony Gilroy's, your Shane Black's, your, even Aaron Sorkin has a, you know, has a, has like wordplay and like, you know, like, you know, if nothing else, he has signature dialogue so that it's sort of there. But like the, but like, the, I've also read these sort of like 
dry, like, like you said, clinical, like, you know, just like they're, the words are grammatically correct. Like everything is, you know, there, but they, they're not a joy to read. They just feel like you're, like you're reading, like you're, you know, sort of like you're reading a blueprint or like, like the, the, the literary equi equivalent of a blueprint, which is not what a screenplay is. I know a lot of people think that's what a screenplay is, but a screenplay is an inspirational document. It is, it is what, what people are going to use to both entice talent, but, and also to entice people to do, to, to imagine. And yes. And so when you have that kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When you have that kind of, uh, of, of modest operandi to, to inspire people, there's got to be not necessarily purple prose, but there's got to be some kind of like personality or just uh, affinity for story and, 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 and language that, yeah. that shows that we are in the presence of a storyteller. Like I need to feel like somebody's telling me a story rather than that I'm just reading stereo instructions. Yeah, um, I, I think I think that I think you're you're so on the money with what I wanted to say here that I thank you, Rob, for saying it so well. <laughs> um, I think I think on top of that, what happens is screenwriting because it's spaced out and we have dialogue. When we get to the action and the narrative, there's only sometimes a few lines on each page full of action and narrative. Uh, you know, it's not like a novel where you have yeah. a whole paragraph to bring you in and sweep you in. So you really want to make those count. Um, you want them. You know, where I have a couple of other things on my list that's going to help you with those um but you do want since uh, you know when you go through and do a polished draft or you say you know you may not come up with all the the literariness in your first draft but by the time you're giving it to somebody you should look at those lines and go can i make this special right you know can i make this interesting can i make it fun to read um you know all those things you want to put that extra polish on it um or if you can't make it special make it quick uh, those are my two, my two suggestions. Like if you need to do something quick, like, oh, somebody enters the room uh, and you don't have a, a really important way for them to enter, just write so-and-so enters, you right. know, move on. Um, what happens oftentimes is uh, we'll spend a lot of details on insignificant things like that that aren't particularly interesting. And then we'll gloss over some of the interesting stuff that you know is underwritten. Um, so choose wisely where you decide to um, express it. You know it's always better to have more description when it comes to um, big like action pieces, big emotional moments, uh, something that's very important to plot. You know that's where you kind of want to slow us down and make sure we're really immersed in experiencing it. So if it feels big to your story, put it in there. If it's not something that you know it's just somebody like entering or exiting or excusing themselves to go to the bathroom like that's not why we came to the movies um so don't spend your time on that i have read a lot of uh scripts um you know where i've actually been charmed um peter i think is a is a perfect example i've read peter. One of his, yeah we we, uh, we we broke him down earlier now we built him up yeah like i when i read peter like i was ready to hate it because you know i, I want peter to suck um like I want him to suck real bad and and but I couldn't I could because I was charmed by his screenplay even though it wasn't necessarily like the story wasn't for me like I was still charmed by the writing and you know there you could tell that there was a 
I hate to even suggest this, but a decently intelligent person on, on behind the, the the words, you know, uh, and- Peter, if you're listening, he is saying this all through gritted teeth. This is yeah, very hard for him. It's very put, hard. Put it, everything he says on a t-shirt, that's what I do. <sighs> Um, I also feel that way about your uh, screenplays, Kate Tuxford. Like Aww. your your recent script, your most recent uh, project or your current project, you know, delivery um, has no fat on its bones. But <laughs> <laughs> like I, Kate Tuxford, from uh, from the original draft to what it is now, Kate Tuxford cut that draft to within an inch of its life. But at the same time, when I read it, even as it it feels like very functional it still doesn't feel like I'm reading something that is that, that just bores you to tears um it's just one of those things where it's just like this is lifeless and dull and doesn't feature the, per the personality of the writer in any way shape or form um there's 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 a way to do it and the only way to do that is is to sort of you've got to write You've got to write a lot. Um, it's just one of those things. Like I feel like one of the things that, that, that's going to sharpen your writing skills the most is going to write a bunch. Yeah. Write all the time. And I don't necessarily mean like write every day because we have one of those things where people are just like, you got to write every day. If you don't write every day, you're not a writer. You know, like one of those type of things. Like it's not prescriptive like that. But just there's, you should be writing all the time like there are you know this if you can't get something out i would I, I would suggest that you do something like journaling or um you know just make a list or something or, or like you know i i occasionally just like write um i literally do this i literally write um stand up uh routines like i'll just write like comedic routines just for nobody just for the sake of like something just to like them, Rob. yeah no, no. Yeah. but, but like, I, I, I think i think that's good is is you're right is bringing in your writing exploring your voice because a lot of times you get told right in your voice if you're a new writer and you're trying to learn how to screenwrite and then how to take lessons from the masters of screenwriting and then also how to find yourself it's pretty easy to end up just a mimic mm -hmm. just you know repeating and regurgitating what you're seeing being right. told this is format and this is how a master does it and then i think i think that's a lot of times especially in film school when i was there a lot of kids ended up running around trying to sound like quentin tarantino right yeah or kevin smith it was like you're either you're either like <laughs> funny or violent and um you know those were your two flavors and i think uh instead the more you write and the more you do your own writing and you kind of recognize or appreciate the specialness of it the less you try to imitate others it's the same thing like if you're going to teach yourself to cook you always start first with a recipe right i'm going to mm -hmm. get a recipe on how to make this you know this shrimp scampi. I'm going to look to somebody else who's already making shrimp scampi before I try to figure out what shrimp scampi is. But at a certain point, once you do a recipe, you also start to learn little things that you particularly like in your shrimp scampi. Yeah, that's actually a really good analogy where eventually you just be like, well, what if I put some paprika in this? Sprinkle a little bit of uh, you know cloves in this. You know, well, like yeah, the day I discovered you could brown butter and put browned butter in there instead of just regular melted butter, you know, mm. it changed just it, yeah it adds a little richness um you know things like that uh you don't necessarily find until you start writing more and experimenting and also feeling confident 
in just the form. It's the same reason why artists are like, first draw some fruit, some still life that isn't gonna like fuss with you. That's got some clear lines and shapes uh, and also can sit as long as you need it to, right? You don't wanna use a person, uh, let that person sit for two days and draw an apple if they want. Um, and so you wanna start with that. So you kind of like grow confident in the technique. But then once you start going out professionally and things like that, people are going to want to, they want to know that your apple or your shrimp scampi is somehow yours. Right. What, yeah, what differentiates your shrimp scampi from like the shrimp scampi that I can like literally microwave like or whatever like that? Yeah. Or if Um, you're going to impersonate a famous person shrimp scampi, why would I go to you when I can get famous person shrimp scampi? Right. You know, uh, you versus Gordon Ramsay shrimp scampi, you know, you've got to have something different going on. And speaking of, you know, um, you know, having personality, uh, you should introduce characters uh, that exemplify, like, you know, the uh, personality traits. Yeah. So this is kind of in tandem with the one I think I, I, Rob and I are looking at our outline here. This is in tandem. So the first thing I run into that is a problem Mm -hmm. is people introduce way too many characters all at once. And readers and people watching story are, you know, we're not going to be able to keep them all straight. And you kind of have to give us when we're writing a focus on who we should be paying attention to. If you introduce me, and I I mean, this is maybe the more extreme version of it, but if you introduce me to eight characters in two paragraphs in the first page, I don't know who I should be paying attention to. Yeah, that's a lot all at once. I I literally had to do a balancing act in my last script where it was like, I I had literally had like, it it was this weird situation where I had to introduce um like four characters in eight pages and I would just I I, but I had to also like introduce the tone of the of the film um like all in one sort of you know sort of thing before audiences get bored but I also had to do the screenplay thing of this is the first 10 minutes and then right into like the inciting incident you know what I mean like like all of that you have to sort of do that screenwriter math uh, of like all of that like right in and if you're trying to do that with too many characters you're just gonna you're gonna fall flat on your face um, yeah and, and think of it like if you go to a party right and you open the door and it's like your friend's birthday and there's a bunch of new people you don't know and then they you know you, you're jump you're fir- you're in the foyer and they're like hey and there's 10 people there and they're like that's todd bob joe you know uh smithy whatever their names are all at once and then it's, it's, it's actually schmitty it's actually schmitty oh thank you thank yeah. you uh jessica one and 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 jessica <laughs> two you know all of these people and you go through 10 at a party at the front door i guarantee you you won't remember any of those any names. of those names you yeah. won't remember and that's the equivalent of having like eight to ten characters except schmitty you will remember schmitty right Everybody remember Schmitty because he corrected you because he's an <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Um, no, it's good to correct people on names. I, I encourage that for my students who I, I sometimes butcher their names and I'm like, please keep correcting me. I will get it right. Um, no, uh, so you won't remember them or you may not remember the one that they wanted you to remember. But if you remember, like if you go to a party and oh, while well, you're pouring yourself you know, a, a vodka soda, 
in the kitchen, you meet Jessica and Jessica tells you about her cat that uh, maybe recently had to go to the vet because the cat was constipated, right? Then you go, oh, Jessica with the cat. Okay. And then you meet somebody oh, Jessica's else. Jessica's not getting late. Okay. That's, uh, that's... <laughs> that's the thing you think about, you know, and then you, meet, and then you meet Bob and Bob's out barbecuing burgers and he tells you he wants you just, did you really just make a Bob's Bob's burgers? Like did you yeah. did you just yeah. Yeah. Okay. he's out making burgers and he's out telling you like the key to the best burger and how he grinds his own meats. Cool. You know, now I remember Jessica and Bob. But when when suddenly when you have all those one-on-one meats in the party or the script, you can remember them and go, oh, Bob really likes burgers. Uh, or Jessica, you know, is really codependent with her cat. Um, you start to know things about these people, or maybe we find like two of them are a couple, et cetera, et cetera. So what I have and what you were jumping the gun on, but I think is we need to introduce our characters doing an action that exemplifies their person, a, a key personality trait they have. That is how we remember characters. And that's how you create memorable interest. They have to be doing an action. They can't just be sitting and existing. That's forgettable, right? Right. We, we want to also see them do something that is intrinsic to their personality. If we see somebody give a dollar to a homeless person and then they're an asshole and not generous and mean to everybody for the rest of the movie, we go, why was why was I introduced to him being an altruistic person? Yeah, I had to do, you know, there's a there's a certain thing like that where, you know, you do that thing or I think the way that I do that is sort of have a have a character take a certain point of view that you mm -hmm. know that the movie is going to need. And then it's like, OK, that person exemplifies that view. So that I know. Great idea. So yeah. I, you know, so that I, I know exactly where, like, if I need that point of view, I know where it's coming from. So that when later on, when things are like that, would be like, well, I understand where this is coming from or I would like or I expect the pushback from this angle because it should be coming from Bob and his theory about burgers. If like somebody's like, <laughs> we get into an argument about like, you know, be like, you know, meat that is murder and stuff like that. And Bob's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know what I mean? Like, we, like we've already established that Bob grinds his own meat. Like, you know what I mean? So like, yes. there's, we need to, to hear like the pushback from that. Otherwise it was like, why did we give a fuck about Bob's meat? Like why, why right. the like, yeah your characters still have to be in line with the conflict that the story is about. Right. And I think sometimes this is something that people run into, especially when they're first creating a, a premise, which is they're like, oh, I have a fun premise, which is like, I don't know, a vegan and a vegetarian, a vegan and a, 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 a barbecue ma grill master get together. Um, but anyway, so, so we kind of went through that. I also want to say a little too often, especially with new writers, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying this. People keep trying to literally save cats. And I get uh, it. It's the name of a book uh, and, and, and whatnot. So people think they need to literally save a cat or pet a dog, or uh, they think that every story needs a quote unquote, save the cat situation. Um, you know, stop it. Uh, I'm just going to say that in the nicest way possible. If you are using a screenwriting tool just because it got put in your toolbox, uh, but you don't have a good reason for it, don't use it. You don't have to use every single tool just because it exists. Um, that's why, you know, if, if you're going to write a screenplay, you have to make decisions. You have to say, oh, are we following one main character? Are we following, you know, a group of people? Is this about 
one per, you know, is it a buddy comedy or is it, you know, one person versus the world? You are always making decisions and stories on, you know, you can't tell every story all at once. Yeah. So, you know, you don't need to put in a save the cat type beep. Um, and, you know, that was specifically outlined in save the cat and used in the old adage of days for people that seem morally repugnant. And we had to show they had a softer side. It is not for people that we already like or already are invested in. So, you know, if you want to show us a rom-com and the person isn't morally repugnant, you don't need to see him go out of the way and go save a cat so we can be like, he's a nice guy. Um, and also it wasn't literal. <laughs> uh, so sometimes people would use that. It's like, literally I've seen red scripts where people are saving animals or giving coffee to homeless people and stuff. Well, just in the beginning in the first like, 10 pages just so they can get their quote unquote save the cat beat, beat in there. Stop it. Um, yeah, I struggle with this one like sometimes where like it, mostly with like when I'm writing action stuff um, where I'm like, you know, the idea of a ticking clock and sometimes you just need urgency to your scenes but yeah. you don't necessarily need a ticking clock. Not everything has to be in five minutes, the place is gonna explode. Exactly, I mean, like exactly. One of those things. So it's just like, you know, if the if the scene is urgent, if the stakes are there, and we know that we can't, we don't have time to fuck around, you know, because of, you know, X, Y, and Z, or because you're in an, an urgent situation, there's no need to say, we need to do this before the sun comes, you know, like people know, they like, they'll get it. Because the reason why we don't do these things is because audiences aren't stupid. No, uh, yeah, and we've, we've seen these beats a million times. Right. And so, um, you know, they're going to start to lose interest because they've already seen it before. Well, and I was... I was listening yeah. to this podcast with Michael Waldron where like they were talking about um, somebody was talking to him about, you know, uh, Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And he was talking about how the movie itself gets to start at basically 100 miles per hour because um, there is there is a, a, a sort of uh, a comfortability with the concept of a multiverse now you don't have to do a lot of work in sort of to understand the multiverse the same way that right now if like if you un if you do a movie that's set in space people understand that there is that there are spaceships people use them to get around from one planet to another so you don't have to do a lot of work explaining spaceships people yeah, just jump on the spaceship and it works it and if people saw people in the spaceship floating, you wouldn't have to explain why. Right. You'd be like, yeah, that's a thing that can happen. There's, there's, you know, they probably don't have any there's gravity. There's no gravity up there. Hey. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to like plot the science and be like, this is how a spaceship works. This is why these people are floating. Right. This, this is why people have to strap in to use the toilet. You don't have to do that. So, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of like audience goodwill that you have or a sort of audience, you know, savvy that, you know, that you have, that savvy is a better word, where yeah. like, you know, you get in and audiences understand that there are concepts like a multiverse, that spaceships do go from planet to planet, that the artificial gravity is a thing and sometimes isn't a thing, yeah. um, you know, like, you, so like you don't necessarily... You know, people can understand if you just like to go back to your point before, if, if you show your guy like getting coffee, if he says like, if, you know, if you show him exchanging a, a, a brief joke with his barista as he gets his coffee, you're like, that guy's a nice guy, you know, and just go on to work. You don't have to give him like, he has to like go and give money to homeless people and like do the thing or like everybody in the streets like, hey, dude, how you doing? Like that sort of thing. You're like, 
you're like, we don't have to do that to know that he's a nice guy, unless you want to establish that he's an extremely nice guy, you know, like right. that. And then that has to be so intrinsic to his character. I see it right. throughout the rest of the movie. Right. That it's or like, that's wow, the that thing to his character, like we're, we're one trying to break him down, like that sort of thing. But like, you know, they're, they're just, audiences aren't dumb. So you're going to have a certain amount of, that's not to say that you should over-assume, but the, you know, that the but the idea of having to over explain things and to overdo things in order to make it feel like that people need to understand stuff you know sometimes when we watch we, we get very literal sometimes when we're writing screenplays we're like oh i have to get this person to this scene um and they feel this okay i need to watch my person get into a car or in an uber drive to that location go, you know, wait in line to coffee, sit down and have a coffee. And I'm like, those are probably the, the chronological events that occurred to get I'm them there. I'm very guilty of this. Like, well, well, I think a lot of writers are. I think I'm like, there's, there's certain things that I just, I just have trouble letting go of. But like, it's one of those things where like, I think my biggest flaw as a screenwriter is that I cannot tell stories like, like, you know, like you know, some people can do like the story of Wyatt Earp's life from like birth to death. And, you know, <laughs> they just get to skip like 20 years where like, you know, like they, way he was a child and then he was a teenager for like a hot minute. Then he's an adult. Then he's just wider. You know what I mean? Then he's like, do, 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 do. Like, I'm sure. He's like, he's like, it's urban time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you sure? I'm like, I, I'm, I'm stuck at, you know, he's a child. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm stuck at like him going to bed. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard for me to just sort of skip that time. And so I empathize with anyone who just finds themselves like, you know, like, oh my God. Like, you know, if you go to bed, you got to brush your teeth. You know, you, yeah. you do all the things and but, stuff like that. You know, I, so. think, I think it's I think it's good for us. Uh, and and I, I challenge us when you're watching a TV uh, show or movie um, is to sit there and think about in comic book world, they call this white space. And in movie world, it's, you know, it's the stuff that happens between the scenes um, or, you know, uh, that we kind of fill in the blanks naturally in our brain. So like in comic world, white space is often used like a, you know, like maybe we see a, a lady in her house and we see behind the, the hallway, there's a, a masked man with a knife, right? And then we see the next one, she's getting closer to the hallway and turns on the light switch. Then we, the next panel is we cut out of the building uh, through the window and we're looking into the building and we just hear, ah, right? <laughs> so in three panels, what do you think happened? You know, we didn't literally watch the serial killer or whatever creep in. We didn't see the lady get home, call her mother, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But we saw from those three panels, we can safely assume that lady got attacked and maybe murdered. Um, and a lot of it is because between the panels and what we saw, we as human beings are able to piece together that information. Right. And so we do the same thing in film. And so if you show somebody going, oh, you know, it's time for me to get coffee with so-and-so you can just start with them sitting down with their cups of coffee, ready to have that conversation. And we will assume they waited in line, they paid the barista, yeah. you know, they ordered what they wanted, they waited. Yeah, like if you yeah. show them like, you know, they got up and they were just like, you know, bye Fido and then shut the door. And then the next thing you know, they're just at the coffee, you know, thing at like, you know, whatever like that. We don't need the, the drive unless something important or something unless like that. Something like interesting you know, happens, right. yeah. If you, then that's why I'm like, I always wait for somebody to go, but if something interesting happens, like on the drive there, they get a text and being, they're about to meet Sarah and they're like, by the way, 
Sarah's stole your boyfriend and is cheating behind your back. And now she's got to go meet Sarah. Right. Like now I'm like, Ooh, this makes the coffee meeting much more stressful. Right. You know, it changes the whole context. Then yeah, you would need that moment, but if nothing plot wise is happening in those little tiny scenes, um, the audience doesn't really need to we share. Don't need them. So also I want to throw in a few grammar lessons um, really quick, uh, which is number one, um, Simple present tense and present progressive tense are things that we use in screenplay writing. And oftentimes people don't necessarily uh, delineate between the two. Simple present tense is when you are- Yeah, you're using the most simple verb. It's happening right now. He, as you said, he fucks. He walks, <laughs> he sees the plane, anything that's a very simple verb, right? He, it's, it's, it's gonna be very active. It's happening right now. Most of our verb usage in a screenplay should be the simple present tense. If you look at theater plays, they also use simple present tense. There's nothing, uh, even though it's called simple, it doesn't make it simple. It just means it's active and happening right now. So-and-so right. enters on stage, uh, enters would be the simple present verb. Uh, present progressive is when somebody is using the ing version of it, like he is walking. Um, you, there are very few instances where you really need to have that in a screenplay. I'm not the type of person that says you can't have it ever, because sometimes I know John August has a bit where he's like, sometimes I want to show somebody is in the middle of something, so right. that can be used. But for the most part, he is walking and he walks tell us the same information, but he walks is number one, it's shorter, which gives you more room to describe. And number two, it's more um, in your face happening right now. Right. Pick less boring verbs. Ah. Um, instead of modifying what you have there and saying he walks quickly, he runs, right. tells us somebody is moving. Sprints. He sprints. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and that also means we don't use the verb like walks for every single thing. Cause trust me, you could read a script and read walks, you know, 300 times. Um, and you're like, man, these people are walking a lot, but I do looks and glances a lot. And I have to watch that in my screenplay. I do that so much. Looks, and I have to like, glances, yeah, keys, I have to constantly walks. watch out for that. Like I'm, yeah. I'm editing myself. I'll and then here's the thing. If you want to, if you want to do that in your first draft sure. and then go back and do a pass on that where you're like, I've used look like for the fourth time. Nope. That's got to go. Um, you know, I've got to come up with a better thing than look I've got to, or glance um, yeah. spies. This is, like, yeah, the, you know. the sources can really be your friend. Um, mm -hmm. And then also I think there are some verbs that can be really fun that we don't use a lot. Like there was one I kept all this time from uh my like undergrad creative screenwriting class, but somebody said he thumbs a donut into his mouth. I was oh, like, that's, that's good. Great. It's oh, good. I love that. And and you see it, you understand how how the donut is yeah, going. It's, in with it's the visual, thumb. yeah. It's, it's yeah, visual. It's very visual. And yeah. you know, it's just he eats. That's what it's coming off of. But mm -hmm. how he thumbs a donut into his mouth gives us a lot of idea of how he eats. Not also how like you know yeah, but yeah, like you said, how he eats and like what kind of person he is. If you thumb yeah. a donut into your mouth. Yeah, uh, it's personality in it. That's that's real good screenwriting right there. That's fantastic. right. Yeah, and it's like it's that's why I would say pick more interesting verbs because if you can find a verb like that that tells us what your character is doing, um, number one, it doesn't take up a ton of space, right? Mm -hmm. You could say he eats sloppily, you know, and through an uh, and it should it could be like the same thing, right? Uh, but one it's less is, elegant. Is, 
it's less elegant. It's also less of a clear picture. I feel like that's a perfect example of what we were talking about earlier, where we're talking about dejecting like the kind of stuff that you want to read because he eats sloppily is is stereo instructions. He thumbs yeah. a donut into his mouth. That is fucking personality. That is that yeah. is that is oh, that is good screenwriting. That's I just I'm in love with that statement. Um, yeah, and I think I think it, it would it when this isn't always first draft stuff. But when you go back through and do further drafts, it's also nice to sometimes think of your characters and create a list of, you know, much like you do a dialogue pass for your characters, it's really great to do a, a verb pass for your characters. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a person who's wild and crazy, like Kramer from Seinfeld, he's going to have a whole different set of verbs on how he enters and exits. Yeah. Place, you know? <laughs> Kramer explodes into the room. Right, he explodes um, yeah. into the room. Exactly. Where, you know, Seinfeld is not going to explode into the room. No. <laughs> so if you if what I highly recommend is think of some verbs for each of your characters that are intrinsic to them um, and use those verbs for them throughout because they will help kind of enhance who the character is. Um, and and just like that, Kramer explodes into rooms. He probably doesn't walk in. No. Um, <laughs> you know, somebody else might, you know. If Kramer does those... walk into a room, then it's bad. Like, you yeah. know, it's like, you're like, ooh. Oh, yeah, why? are you okay? Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, George Costanza probably shuffles wherever mm -hmm. he goes. You know, so try to think of those verbs that are intrinsic to your character. Number one, your actors will thank you because it gives them an idea mm -hmm. of the type of performance you want. That's some directing on the page, Rob. Um, that you can get away with as a writer. Um, and then also- See, we're just, just setting these things and just paying them off. Just yeah, setting them yeah. up and paying them Lining off. them up. And I have a, a friend who is a uh, working screenwriter that has an ongoing list of all his favorite sentences he's read everywhere. And he doesn't necessarily copy them, but if he's like, oh, I love how they use that verb, he might use it. Or, oh, I love that word. He might bring it up because he's kind of creating a list of things that feel like his voice. Right. Because it also doesn't like, you know, necessarily the thing. You could also go, he thumbs a bullet into the clip, you know, like that sort of thing. You yeah. know, like, like that is it's a completely different yeah. con connotation entirely. You're like, whoa, the thumbs a bullet into the clip. That, that means he's an old hand at using, like, yeah, you know, he, it, he it, can do it without looking. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, feel like we went through most of this. We went through, yeah, we, I think we, I think we've given people like a, a thing. Um, the, the, <laughs> we we've given people a lot to think about um yeah well you wanted professor tuxford you got her i did and I, i'm i'm pretty happy with it um but i think <laughs> we should we should uh inelegantly move on to what are we watching consuming writing this week i was gonna say you have good news i, I have good news the speaking of 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 uh, of writing um, that, you know, has is, is been gratifying. Um, I, a movie that I wrote, Around the World, my second feature, crossed over a million views this week. Um, this is me applauding vigorously. Yay, yeah. Rob! Thank you. Uh, it's been four years and a million views, and I'm still in, I'm still in awe of how that actually happened. Um, the movie is up on my YouTube channel, and I'll, there'll be a link to it in the show notes. But yeah, one million views and two subscribers on uh, on the same day. So that was was crazy um, good. And then on the literally Friday was just the day of all good things for me. Um, I turned in my script for my contained thriller script, and then immediately was ratified by the director, producers, the other writers. And then like people were like, "Let's do contracts," and I was like, "Okay, here we go again." Um, so I'm at that wonderful point 
where this is a movie that hasn't fallen apart. So, yay! yay. <laughs> Still at the good part. So, anyway, uh, that those that was what I, that's what I'm, yeah, there you go. Okay. Uh, well, Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 2 dropped today, so I'm going to be binging that when uh, the wife comes home. Yeah, I still have not watched the first part of it, but I'm, I'm going to It's I'm gonna It's pretty this. good. I was going to say, I enjoyed it more than I, I think. Uh, I, I enjoyed it almost as much as, like, the first season or so. You know, like, it felt like it was uh, really picking up and picking interesting storylines. Um, and um, it definitely has that retro, you know, all these things that you're like, oh, my God, the 80s. So, you know, they, they leaned into that. Um, <laughs> of course they have to. Um, so I'm, I've also been watching very strange new worlds with, uh, Ben, the husband. And right now I'm just, uh, so unfortunately I'm not doing much writing this week. I'm just putting out some fires on my film delivery. Um, just, just, uh, to, which I also tried to help with. Yes. I was going to say, uh, we did lose an actor and, uh, it was such a bummer, uh, because there's, there's no bad blood or anything. It's just scheduling, but, uh, you know, whenever you do casting and you get everybody and you're like, okay, we're all ready to go. Everything's good. And then when, you know, a person has to drop out or, you know, can't make the dates, it's, um, it's, a it, it feels like a gut punch. Cause then you have to go and do that again. Um, luckily, you know, we have still had a lot of excitement on the project. So it's just, I just, uh, I have to go back and do some recasting and that's fine. And that's very normal in film. Um, but I had this fantasy that, um, you know, nothing was gonna uh, roadblock me. So um, instead I'm gonna have to just jump over those hurdles. So I'm doing that. And also um, getting some locations, uh, people with locations to basically, uh, allow me to to take over and film so that's very exciting as well to get to get that in writing to know that that's going to happen um, and um, it, it's starting to feel more real so that's very exciting for me right on thank you okay so this week's resource um, you know since we covered a lot of format I think you can find a really good resource guide in the Hollywood Standard by Christopher Riley mm -hmm. um, this goes over things like character continued scene headings subheadings even has a whole section on how to do phone intercuts and texting uh, yeah I actually several you know, examples yeah. yeah I actually keep a copy of this near, near me at all times um, when I'm writing and stuff like that because I constantly do things where like I have text messages uh, like show up on screen and this has a really great uh, like thing on how to show what text messages can look like on screen, and then it gives a, a couple of, of good examples of how to do that in yeah, different contexts and stuff like that. It's really great. Yeah. This, you know, I think sometimes formatting people get very black and white here. It is, mm -hmm. you know, it is formatting is still flexible where, you know, you do get to make some choices. This one has options in there and it's also very contemporary. It's also in its third edition. So if you're on a budget, you can get a used copy uh, on Amazon. The second edition, I think is like selling between four and $7. So it's not expensive. I think if you get the newest edition, it runs about 25. So um, it's definitely a good resource to have on hand. Because uh, oftentimes I find people run into a formatting issue and they kind of just go for it anyway. 
Yeah, and it has a really great up. like glossary where you can just like look up what you're looking for, and it'll yeah, take you, can you just right look up to the text page. Message, phone in, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. this book. How you know how how to use continuous? Because sometimes people do not use continuous correctly. Right. Continuous is only when you are literally going from one scene to the next, like one location in a continuous motion. Right. Uh, so if any time has passed between those two scenes, it is not continuous, uh, and it won't be shot that way either. So things like that, um, you know, you can definitely look those things up and uh if you're going to be a reader or you are reading for anybody it is a great resource as well because it's pretty easy just to like look on screenwriting twitter and maybe follow some uh strong twitter advice um but if you look it up you may realize there's flexibility or different choices there so you don't want to necessarily just uh gang up on someone because they made a different choice or you want to guide them if they need a little guidance um so yeah so definitely check this one out i think it's i think it's a really effective book and uh will be linked in the show notes yes okay well, that's our show. Screenwriting from the Trenches can currently be found on Anchor, Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts, as well as kevinlmartin.com. And since we are a new podcast, we'd appreciate it if you dropped us a like or rated us five stars on whatever platform you patronize, because why, Robert Higgins? Algorithms. For, reason, uh, for questions uh, for us that can and will answer, uh, be answered on the show, you can email Rob at rob at bespectaclemofo.com. And you can also find us on Twitter. I am at K underscore Tux. And I am at bespectaclemofo. All right. And um, these things, as well as Rob's YouTube channel, where he has a digital series, How to Make a Movie for $1,000, will be linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you continue to do so. Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves. Uh, here's a little uh, PS, though, that I'm going to put at the end of this episode. Um, this was part, I think that we're going to do a, another part of this episode. Uh, I've, I've decided that I'm going to sort of uh, write something uh, like it to sort of practice what we preach and uh, I would like to, to sort of do this. I, I'm challenging myself to uh, like do a short a month uh, for the rest of the year uh, in the face of not being able to do something else. But I, I want to also bring some of that to the podcast. So next week, I will be bringing a short that I have written to the podcast and we will have a guest. Uh, who will be, along with uh, Professor Tuxford here, be breaking it down uh, so that we can, you know, see like what it's like to sort of take the, you know, the, the, the skill sharpening uh, notes that we have outlined today. So we'll see how well we all, that uh, we follow the rules on the show. I just wanted to put that there as a little button at the end of the show. So tune in next week. Uh, uh, hopefully and we'll be, we'll do more stuff like this. So tune in next week. We will do more stuff. Robert yeah. Higgins, writer, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Screenwriter extraordinaire. All right. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, 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 writer of our times, the voice of a generation. <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs>